0: So today we have two master coaches, both MCCs, Colleen from South Africa, Johannesburg and Tony from Singapore. And Tony, all of us are in stress, but Tony is in greater stress because a couple of days ago Singapore decided to lock down and he, according to what he told me, he got thrown out of his, uh, not thrown out actually, he was basically told that his office building (laughs) was being locked down and therefore uh, overnight, not overnight, over the weekend, he had to take out every single thing that was there because he wasn't sure how long it's going to last, so he had to relocate everything. So I, I'm truly glad that despite all this, uh, with all the stress around him, um, Tony is here with, with us today. Um, Colleen, uh, of the three of us, probably is the most qualified to speak of the subject today, which is neurosciences, which I deliberately chose because from time to time we keep shifting. For the next three months this quarter, uh, we would be addressing the larger space of uh, neurosciences. It could be neurobiology, it could be something to do with the neurosciences and uh, uh, psychology and so on, or spirituality, um, as your interest is, as what you question, and also uh, what we probably know how to share with you. Uh, Colleen from what I have discussed with her, and she can uh, introduce herself more in detail. She has worked with NeuroLeadership uh, Group, um, so uh, David Rock and 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 uh, models of David Rock, as well as she's a PhD in NeuroLeadership. Um, as I said, she is an MCC, and Tony has been an MCC for a long time, as long as I can remember. When I was in Singapore and first got my ten years ago, uh, uh, he was already one of the uh, let's say, pillars of the Singapore Coaching Association out there, the ICF Federation and other bodies. Uh, his background is more on technology. Uh, he uh, is very familiar with stuff like Agile and so on. And his um, interest, passion, like mine is, um, one of the passions is uh, neurosciences and how neurosciences um, impact uh, the field of coaching, how does it impact uh, how do we understand our behavior better by understanding more about the way that our brain works in a simple way Um, so what we are going to do today is um, also partly dependent upon what questions you ask Uh, but primarily what we discussed briefly uh, is that we will try and address the behavior of people which is what we really address in coaching from a point of view of how the brain functions and how that influences the way that we behave. Uh, Before I hand over to Colleen first and then to Tony, and I'll probably come later, uh, and I'll monitor the chat box as well. One of the mysteries that has always not bothered me, but puzzled me, is how the word psychology and philosophy in Latin mean just the opposite. Uh, the psychology etymology of psychology is psyche is about the soul, the spirit, etc., which should really be the groundwork of philosophy. Whereas philosophy is more about wisdom, and to some extent, uh, if you really go back to Plato and Aristotle and so on, this is more to do with how people behave and um, and so on. So, in real terms philosophy in Latin would would probably mean to deal more with the behavior of people, whereas the psychology would be more to deal with the spirit of people. But in English, it's just the opposite. So whether that means something or doesn't mean anything, I have no idea, but this is what the uh, etymology is. So without further ado, um, Colleen, if you could just briefly introduce yourself and if you could say, Something to kick off the discussion, and then we can join in on that in terms of the connectivity between the way the, the brain is formed, the way the brain functions, and the way that it influences the way that we behave. Thank you. Thanks. So that's a
1: pretty broad opening, um, which kind of lets me go anyway, Ram. Thank you. Um, and I'm just, I think I'm going to pick up on what you just said. It's really interesting about the, the spirits and the and the the thinking and the doing, and I guess this is where uh, coaching kind of intersects all of these um, areas is that we, we, we're talking about coaching the being and the doing of the human of the human. So um, I think both of those traditions are definitely relevant in coaching and then of course we bring in the neuroscience which attempts to explain behavior from a biological perspective. So it's kind of the head, hands, heart, and spirit. I guess um, all coming into one, one uh, inter- kind of intervention.
0: Yeah, Colleen, all over to you. You, you please continue. Introduce yourself and uh, whatever you want to say on the subject, please.
1: Okay, so um, Ram, I'm not necessarily going to speak necess- about the strict biology, biological functioning and research that is being done currently about the brain, but really how can we use our our brain to understand the mind and the connection with the spirits and the being of, of the human. So really, we spoke initially about when we, we chatted and we kind of created broad brushstrokes for this conversation is about how do we address behaviour and how do we understand behaviour in terms of um, scientific principles, neuroscience principles. And one particular area we discussed was about aggression or abrasive behavior in executives and how can we use an understanding of neuroscience to both um, mitigate and um, shift, I guess, that kind of behavior. And I think it's really useful for coaches to understand what is happening at a biological level so that we can you leverage resources and strategies to help people think and shift their, their brain functioning in a way that is more constructive. So I'm not really sure exactly um, where you want to take it, Ram. Do you want to talk about the neurobiology of, for example, aggression and anger? Where is it you'd like to go with this?
0: OK, let, let me um, uh, start with something which probably then we can jump in with Tony or you come into this discussion. Uh, One of the things that I have always been fascinated by is the way that 5,000 years ago, um, what is today called Hinduism, the way that it developed as Vedic philosophy or Vedic psychology, it defined the mind and it differentiated that from the brain, which in the Western philosophy and psychology was done much, much later, probably just about 100 years ago the real differentiation between what the mind is and what the brain is, or whether the brain was the mind before and now it is, the brain is a part of the mind. So it defined the mind in four parts. The first part was about the senses, the external gateways, the different uh, senses, like today we know that the brain, um, the sensory perceptions of the Uh, the visual perceptions are at the back of the head, the auditory somewhere in the lateral side, and and so on and so forth. And these are constantly active. They are constantly reaching out like antennae to the rest of the world around us. And they pick up the signals and every single bit of that information that comes is stored in the brain, in some part of the brain. Now, when people say that maybe less than 2% or 0.2%, 0.02% of it is really being stored that is completely wrong. That is what is accessible to us as conscious memory. But every single bit of that information, literally billions of bytes of memory, uh, information that is pouring in through is stored in some part of our total system. And it it is accessible. And it's known that you, you can through electrical stimulation of certain parts of the brain, that these can be accessed. The information that pours into us through these senses, which is called manas in Sanskrit is stored in a part of the brain, which was called chitti. And this part of the brain is today generally known as the hippocampus. Part of that where the memory storage happens is hippocampus, primarily the current memory, the conscious memory, a lot of it, some of it unconscious. But a lot of the long-term unconscious memory is stored in a part of the brain, which today is colloquially referred to as the reptilian brain or the cerebellum, which is on the brain stem. And in fact, We know now through experiments, and I have done work on this myself without any questions about it, that you can excite that part of the brain and recall memories from before the birth. And this has been evidence. Um, It may seem like fluff, but uh, this has been my personal experience and I have worked with people who have experienced this as well. So the second part was memory. The third part, whatever is stored in this memory everything that we receive is stored in this memory is then monitored by an agency which was called the limbic brain by maclean when he defined the brain in the triune theory process as the reptilian brain which started first for instance in the reptiles and fish and so on all it consisted was a part of the brain just about the brain stem that was all it was and then as a the mammals came about the animals as well as the birds is expanded into a limbic system and the hypothalamus, as well as the amygdala and a parts, they form part of the limbic system and a large part of what is called a personality, at least the emotional behavioral part of our personality, in some way is related to this part and a part of it to the more recent development we as humans have, which is the, the frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex and so on and so forth, which is the largest. Uh, in the humans. To put things in perspective, <clears throat> we all have roughly about, on an average, between 50 to 100 trillion cells in our body system. Every one of these cells has an intelligence which is uh, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it it, uh, it has everything that needs to be done to keep us <clears throat> alive, thinking, active, etc. And of this roughly about 100 billion cells which is 0.1 percent or less is actually the 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 brain which which comprises the brain the brain is roughly about two percent of the weight of the total body but it consumes 20 percent almost 18 to 20 percent of the energy at any point in time so it's probably the most expensive uh spatial resource that we have in our body system so in addition to these the, the primary difference between us and most other animals, the primates are like the chimpanzees and the orangs and so on, and gorillas, they are somewhat similar to us because it has a frontal cortex. It's a difference between the evolution of the limbic brain and, and the frontal cortex. And the primary difference between the mammals, uh, which the larger family would belong to, and those before that, like the reptiles and so on, is the absence of that um what is called the limbic brain the limbic or the mammalian brain which fits up all these aspects of hypothalamus and amygdala and so on and so forth is what gives us this capability to nurture to love to have compassion and so on most of us know that reptiles if they're young they are cannibals and mammals don't that's a fundamental difference when the mammalian brain came about The the distinction is very much the nurturing aspect and very often one of the questions that is asked is which comes first, whether feelings come first or whether uh, thought process comes first. Very clearly from the way the brain functions, the first point of receipt of all our senses is in the emotional brain, the limbic brain. And it's through the limbic brain that we transfer the information into the cognitive brain and therefore There is really very little doubt, even if it's microseconds or whatever, in terms of time differential between feelings and thinking, it's really starting from thinking, which uh, from feeling, which goes into thinking. Another aspect, which is very interesting as far as behavior is concerned, is that there are different parts of the brain, both in the hypothalamus area, which is about emotions, as well as in the frontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex, and so on which work with different kinds of emotions. Within the brain, we have now identified, scientists have identified those spaces which affect anger, which affect aggression, which are with compassion, which are about nurturing and so on and so forth. These are all very specific different parts and these are very well known and extremely well mapped. Uh, This is scientific. And what It has also been determined to happen, contrary to many beliefs that were there earlier, that the brain is hardwired, it doesn't change. It has been very well established today, the brain is extremely plastic and that is what is called neuroplasticity. You don't get angry or aggressive or frustrated or prone to something else, helplessness, in just one instant, it happens over a period. The neural network, which is responsible for that particular emotion, it grows. Earlier, it might have been in the normal self at a very, very small space, but it starts with a trickle. The trickle grows into a stream. The stream gets into a typhoon, or whatever it may be. So you become the kind of person that you are today. If you are anger prone, you erupt into absolute red heat of anger, and you you don't even see. Uh, Clearly, uh, all you see is red. And so the neural networks expand in terms of receptors for this emotion of anger. And the same way that it creates this reception of anger, it can also be controlled. So you can manage anger. You can gradually work on it and start shrinking those parts which are related to anger in terms of your neural network and you can get back into controlling anger. And I'm speaking from experience because I was extremely prone to anger. I was very aggressive. And this was something that I consciously did partly through brain work, partly through spiritual work and to be able to get into a space which I'm still not happy about it, but it's it's dozens and dozens of times better than what it was at at a point in time. So in coaching, I think these two aspects that I talked about and there are many other aspects we can come as we speak about are extremely relevant because very often people ask us as coaches when we train them as to why are you focusing so much on emotions? Um, companies when we work with, if you're working with executives, all that they are bothered is about the thinking, the cognitive aspect. The reason why we would like to focus as coaches on emotions is because emotions are the foundation of thinking without emotions, there cannot be any thinking. And also when emotions go out of control, like for example, we know about amygdala now, if the amygdala gets hijacked by a very powerful emotion, what really happens is the cognitive brain is completely bypassed. And the impulses, the electrical impulses from the hypothalamus, actually go directly to the pituitary gland and through the HPA axis, it activates the rest of the body So we get into our instinctive fight or flight response. And this has again been established. But if we are able to somehow control the expansion of this amygdala, expansion of this neural network, then we could get back into a more rational, responsive cognitive way of behavior, which is the foundation for one of the principles of coaching. There are many people who claim that I can do laser coaching in 20 minutes or whatever or less and I can make a transformation. Possibly you can create awareness of some sorts in 20 minutes. I don't disagree with that, but it won't stay. I can wager anything and this is a scientific principle. The neuroplastic changes take much longer time. In general, you need to practice continuously for months together perhaps it needs three months. And when we work as coaches with people, it might take six months or even a year. Therefore, any coaching, which does not go into that kind of length and state intensity with feedback and feedback loop, it's not going to make a real stabilizing, sustainable change in a person. So it's something very fundamentally important of coaching and also the fact that unless we really learn how to address emotions and help coach our clients to address their emotions, there is no way for them to be able to finally respond in a sensible way, in a rational and cognitive way till they gain control. They manage the emotions rather than managing emotions. So what I had briefly discussed with Colleen earlier and we briefly discussed was that if you can look at something like aggression, which is something very common. And for some time now, I've been approached based on a few cases that i was able to handle well. Companies have been referring people, hey, we have a person who is very aggressive. And whenever I start working with them, uh, one of the things I constantly keep in mind is that this is something which is not developed in a day. It is developed over a period of time, conditioned responses over several years. And it's not that they are doing it voluntarily. It is something that has happened. It's almost like, I I don't want to call it an illness, but there's a state of mind, the the way the brain has developed that is causing them to do it. And unless I'm compassionate about it and I'm working with them to reverse that back to the normal, um, they're going to stay in that state. So I'll stop here for a minute. Uh, I would let uh, Colleen and Tony come in, and if there is something that I have said which is unacceptable, be absolutely frank and say this is where I need to be corrected, or anything that you're me- <laughs> This this is my knowledge, and neuroscience is not my day job.
2: Yeah, if I may, the a couple of things you said um, that just that rang bells for me. Um, one um, one was that you you said that it, everything that goes into your brain is still in your brain. it's all stored. And this is this has been something that has come up in all the work um, that I've done. So to give a really uh, context, i I do, one on one coaching, typically at C suite leadership team level for organizational change and transitions of leadership. The other thing I do, and I think Colleen as well, you probably do with the David Rock stuff, right? Is going into organizations and teaching managers coaching skills. And it, it's two very different things looking at how. We, as professional external coaches, coach, and what you're teaching people inside an organization to do when you teach them to coach. Um, as Ram just said, you know, getting um, phenomenal breakthrough, building new habits, um, that's not something you can do in a, a 15 minute conversation. What you can do is teach people a way of Uh, doing first-level coaching, let's call it the the Newtonian physics rather than the quantum physics, where the typical manager's problem of, I got promoted and I spend all my time solving people's problems. How do I turn that around so I coach them so that they solve their own problems? And that you can do in a kind of 15, 20-minute conversation. Um, The breakthrough stuff you're talking about is is what I find interesting is because that goes a lot deeper um now i wouldn't be qualified to talk about parts of the brain i'm usually referring to it in terms of people's bidding with their conscious awareness versus the subconscious um one of the things i've noticed is if you focus on getting people past the um the filters of the conscious awareness and into the subconscious, it becomes a lot easier to recall the stored information. And and that we've seen demonstrated time and time again. Um, Something I talk about, and this is where I suspect maybe sometimes I talk nonsense, but it means something to me. When we talk about, as you coach somebody, you're speaking to their subconscious. So you can actually say things And the subconscious responds to it, which to the conscious awareness um, would be uh, grammatically incorrect and a bit nonsensical. The other thing that you mentioned that was interesting, uh, or a thought that you triggered, going to the emotions. um, I've noticed as well that if we're coaching somebody. I mean, everybody, I see after everybody says, you know, mastery and coaching is about breakthroughs. It's a, a present connected in-the-moment experience, working for a breakthrough, creating awareness. And the breakthrough comes from them literally getting past beliefs that they currently hold about a situation. And from what I've seen, those beliefs seem to sit at the 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 very lowest level of the subconscious, down where those emotions are, down in the limbic brain. Um, By contrast with the organizational coaching on the sort of the day-to-day, let's get the leadership work done, um, I always focus on saying to them, you know, separate mindset um, and behaviors because people will often do this when you work with an organization. They will, they will talk about, can you come and coach this executive, um, whether they're the kind of behaviors you were describing Ram or whatever. They're saying, we need them to have a different mindset. When actually what they mean is we need them to have different behaviors. And I've noticed that time and time again, and I've seen this with less experienced coaches, failing to separate what we're talking about when we talk about mindset versus behaviors. So the beliefs, and we know the beliefs drive the behaviors, um, but it's far easier to observe behaviors, specify behaviors, uh, measure behaviors, and and therefore coach for behavioral change. What I think is the really interesting piece um, as external coaches, as we get better at it, is being able to go in and like forget the behaviors be able to go in and coach that mindset change i think that's the really interesting piece um i don't know um magda can you run polls i mean can we find out how many people in the audience are external coaches as opposed to internal coaches in organizations
3: i can but it's gonna take me a couple of minutes so let me set it up
2: that'd be interesting yeah yeah um, the, the other thing I noticed um, somebody had a question. Oh yeah, Sachin I've nice noticed the Buddhist hand that we had a, had a question. How can we change the habits or create new habits in 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. yeah, so I, I think Ram answered that. You, you can't build new habits in 20 minutes. You can, you can get You can coach somebody, um, to solve a problem once they've really crisply defined what the problem is. Um, but figuring out you've got to do something different is one thing. Building the new habit, um, that, that's the hard part. Right? Because if we look at when we're coaching and helping people change, there's three bits. Finding out that you need to change, and, and that's pretty easy as long as somebody tells you, now you know, you've got the awareness. Um learning what you've got to change, learning the new thing, that's fairly easy. We, we've all been to school, we know how to learn. But the, the building of the new habits is the hard part. That's the time-consuming one.
0: Uh, Tony, before I pass on to Colleen, I, I just want to address um, uh, these two questions here very quickly. Uh, one is uh, something from Iwa. Um, it's a very interesting question. She's saying, What triggers the work of neurotransmitters is a fact whether someone violates our values by preserving the word, behavior, etc. From what I know, and Colin, you can correct me, um, but very simply, the production of neurotransmitters is done through the limbic brain, especially the hypothalamus area. And from there, the messages go to pituitary, which is a master gland, and through which the neurotransmitters are produced. There are some neurotransmitters which are produced in other parts of the brain, but primarily today, our state of the knowledge which might change in future, that it happens through the emotional brain rather through the the cognitive brain. Um, Yes, of course, what we hear, what we sense, what we see, all these, the senses are automatically passed into the hypothalamus and the value systems as Tony was just explaining, are pretty much in like what do you put it that way from a psychological sp- perspective which is in the subconscious brain. A lot of it, the deeper they go, they go into the cerebellum area and the lower level they still are in the deeper levels of the hippocampus. And, and therefore all these things which are not available at the surface of the cognitive level or what we in coaching terms usually refer to as the unconscious incompetencies. In learning theory, that's a starting point. You start with unconscious incompetencies, and those come from limiting beliefs, which is one of the fundamental principles in coaching. And from there, through the exploration with a coach, someone outside, the person develops consciousness about this incompetency so the unconscious incompetencies become conscious incompetencies, which is a process of awareness which can happen in laser coaching Sachin is referring to that sure anybody can do it in 20 minutes or 15 minutes that's not difficult but from the unconscious incompetencies to move into uh, sorry from from the conscious incompetencies to move into conscious competencies to figure out ways and means of doing it and finally most importantly to make that into a new habit by making it into an unconscious competency, which is a flow, which is a mastery. That takes time. Yes, I, I don't know anyone, unless you are one of those miracle makers who can do it in 30 minutes or one hour. I would pretty much, I would openly challenge anybody to do that. If anyone is saying that, I think it would be a lie. It takes, today we know from, whatever we know about sciences, it takes about three months. and And this is in a very, very, protected environment. Usually it takes about six to nine months. So both of these are pretty much driven by the emotional part of the brain. Um, I'll just pass it on to uh, Colleen now. Uh, yeah, by the they are still, um, I don't know, Manta will come back with your answer, Tony, about how many are internal coaches. and how many Yeah,
3: so are. if everyone could just vote quickly, about half of you have voted. Just uh, take a look at your Zoom screen quickly, and there should be a poll in front of you. Okay, you guys go back. I will try the poll on the screen as soon as the results are in.
2: All right. There was another question there as well from Svea van der Hoorn saying, yeah, I was saying if we're coaching, we're speaking to the subconscious, what does that imply for the contracting and coaching agreement? Um, I, I don't think there's any particular um, issue there because, so when I'm talking about talking to the subconscious, um, I'm, I'm referring to this, the conscious awareness being the half a dozen or so things that somebody currently holds in their mind at one time. Their subconscious is the, the processor and the entire database of their whole body of knowledge. So when you say to somebody, um, what's the problem you'd like to solve? You're getting a different response where if you say, what's the problem you need to solve? Because you know, what I want and what I need are, are often two, two different things. Sorry,
0: your hmm? answer is yes, 78% are external coaches, 22% are internal.
2: Okay, sorry, good. No, that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, so, the subconscious is the person. In fact, it's it's the bigger part of the person. So, when you're when you're going into the contract contracting of the coaching and the and the agreement, um, you're coaching the whole person. So, I, I don't think there's any issue there. Um, it's about. There is an issue about manipulation. I think which you've got to be careful of. And one of the reasons um, that ICF, I think approves coach training based on NLP as valid, as opposed to pure NLP training doesn't qualify as coach training is because it brings the other component into it. And I've heard things from, from people I've worked with where you ask a question Because for me, coaching is the process of making people think, that's it. It's about taking them down into their thought process. Now, the minute you trigger some thinking, you've taken them from their conscious awareness into their subconscious. And then it's just a question of how far down you go. And the further down you go, the faster the processing happens. So by definition, if you're going to coach and coach effectively, You've you've got to get them down there. So you are you've got to work with the subconscious. Um, if you ask a question that triggers some deep thought, the uh, hypnotherapist would say that's a hypnotic question. Um, the the NLP practitioner might say that's a neuro linguistic structure, um, and the coach will say that was a really good question you know we have different disciplines that are all using very similar approaches to accessing the subconscious and getting people down there thanks
1: for me so tony if i can also jump in there in terms of because we, we're talking on many different levels and i don't think we're talking about parts of the brain i think we're talking about integrating whole brain functioning so if we just started yeah. the aspect of emotions what are emotions Emotions are not an experience. An emotion is a cognitive appraisal of a feeling state. So what happens first, is Rami was saying, when we experience something, we it, it triggers a physiological response in us. And then it's the story that we create in our conscious mind about that feeling state that then determines our, our subsequent behavior. So when I say yeah. looking at whole brain functioning, I think it is really important For us to understand that we need to leverage all our understanding of humans functioning and and I I particularly like it from a neuroscience perspective, is that that a person's behavior, a person's personality, the person's outcomes that they experience is a complete manifestation of their life experiences, of their conditioning, of their culture, of their childhood, of their upbringing, uh, whether they're male or female, whether they're middle class or what all of these aspects influence our behavior as well as our gen- the genetic influences. I mean, you can be, be born with a genetic propensity towards um, reactivity, or you can be born with a genetic propensity towards a milder, um, more melancholic kind of temperament. So there's ge- genetics and environment that both combine to craft our, the, the ultimate results. So for me, Understanding that subconscious, um, that sub the subconscious thinking as a manifestation of both biology and um, and experience. Now, as coaches, we don't go into the past. We're not investigating what is it that caused this kind of personality style or behavioral style. But what we're doing is we we under helping people getting an understanding of themselves and understanding what. Is it that's being triggered in them? What is the psychological process that is has has manifested as a result of all their um, of those beliefs? That, that somebody was also asking about values. There, how does values impact? Somebody somebody was saying, you know, when it, your values, which is part of your innate being, but also part of your conditioning, when those are triggered or confounded, um, you will experience it as a threat response. So anything in our environment. That that we experience as a threat will manifest in some kind of threat behavior, one of which is aggression. And aggression is actually an adaptive behavior. It's an adaptive behavior in order to survive. You know, we protect our young, like Ram was saying, we're social, we're socially adaptive to, um, to fight for scarce resources. But when it becomes maladaptive, that's when we need to um, start helping people shift behavior so one of the first things for me as a coach is to like you said at least a person has to recognize the need for change now there's many people that are have have so so manifested this conditioned belief of i'm right um, i'm perfect i don't have to change that they are just actually not coachable so our job as a coach is to first find whether there's that willingness to change or that that is absolute starting point because if there isn't a willingness um, you know, if a person is, for, for example, narcissistic, you know, th- it's going to be very difficult for us with coaching techniques to actually break through into shifting behavior. So it starts with understanding. I'd actually say
2: that was impossible. Yeah, I mean, because I'm totally with you there. First yeah. thing I'm doing when I'm when I'm interviewing anybody is figuring out is this person actually willing to change? So a, a lot of a lot of the the work I'm doing with that is where. The organization brings you in and says, we need you to help this person to change. And, and yes, so that's um yeah. tell you what be interesting from from your because you know you're um, if you're like scientifically deeper into this stuff than than Ram and I are. I know that's the first thing I'm doing. I'm going in there trying to establish can I detect whether this person is willing to change or not? And I know I've had Um, times where the mouth says yes of course I'll change and and my brain's going no they're not (laughs) every instinct I've got is screaming out what what from your perspective what what are we doing there what's 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 happening because if if we can become more aware of what we're doing when we do that sort of thing from your knowledge that that makes it easier for us to do it more consistently
1: okay I'm going to I'm going to answer you on two perspectives there because what we have to understand is this willingness to change is what often shows up as an unwillingness to change. It's just a fear of change um, and inability to right. see how I can change because change takes effort. Yes, neuroplasticity is, is fantastic and, it's, and, and we can activate, uh, we can use neuroplastic principles to get people to shift behavior profoundly. How, mm-hmm. However, um, the homeostasis of the brain. The brain likes to go back to what is familiar because that's comfortable, because anything that is different, this is why change is so hard. Even positive change is seen as a threat because it takes effort and energy in order to, um, to, to, sh- to shift those, that neural patterning or the habitual behavior. So we need to often be patient and, and present with our coaches to understand that it may, may take a little bit of time for them to work past that threat that is actually preventing them from being willing to change. We're also talking about neurochemistry here because don't forget in in turn, our behavior is very much um, like Ram said, you know, we we perceive and we have an experience, our amygdala processes that experiences, either this is threat or this is um, a positive experience. When it's a threat, it actually becomes before the amygdala, it's the anterior cingular cortex is like the orchestrator of the brain. It decides what to do with information. So when something is perceived as a threat, the amygdala will immediately react to that threat by c- creating a cascade of neurochemicals and neurohormones through the body of adrenaline, which is, um, uh, which, which readies the body to survive, ready, act- activates the body's um, physiological survival responses, raises cortisol levels, which in turn reduces, cortisol is a, um, a, a neural inhibitor. So it stops us from thinking, stops us from being rational. Our serotonin levels drop. Serotonin, by the way, is very strongly related to aggression. And it's a circular relationship. The more aggressive we are, the lower our serotonin levels, the more aggressive we become. So it becomes a circular circular um, relationship so it's actually it's 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 understanding all the neurochemical reactions, so we can we can help to change a person by getting them willing to change understanding that neuroplasticity means that they have the capacity to change, but also understanding that resistance now there are some people who are so pathologically either resistant to change or pathologically. Disorder that they have built over many, many years. That resistance to self-awareness. That resistance to um, being willing to access um, those parts of. Because it takes a very really calm brain state to access that the so-called subconscious um, and you know much deeper memories. And so, so sometimes it's just the, the resistance is so high that coaching is just definitely not the intervention to engage with. However. In my experience, most people, once we create that safe space, once we um, allow them to experience and and gently, gently into that good night, you know, we go and help them to slowly start uncovering. This is, I'm talking about a person that's resistant. Some people are completely open to it, and you can do it in a 15 minute conversation. Sometimes it takes Mm. just a little bit longer. Um, Dopamine as well, just (laughs) a very important. There's a neurochemical here. Sorry, just the last thing, because remember, dopamine is associated, um, is, is the reward neurochemical. And when we experience re- reward, it's often because of our aggressive behavior has resulted in us getting a reward. It's about power, it's about competition. And the more we experience power, the more experience competition, the re- higher our dopamine levels, the more addicted, because it's an addiction neurochemical. We get addicted to the dopamine and therefore engage in more powerful and more aggressive behavior. So it's also about interrupting all these neurochemicals through helping people shift yeah. their thinking.
2: So, so how could you use that for the positive? Because I noticed a question from uh, Donk Kerper, who so makes the point that habitual behavior and conscious deliberate chosen behavior are not the same. Um, he's coaching often focused on creating self-awareness of habitual behavior and its impact, and then exploring what more appropriate behavior would be. So the hard task, is getting people to create the new uh, habits. Those points you just made about the the, um, addiction to the chemical responses, how can one leverage that in coaching to help with this creation of new behaviors?
1: Well, remember that uh, people tend not to change because of threat. People tend to, a, A threat engages a withdrawal response or a defensive response. So when people, are, we create a willingness to change through creating vision, through creating, what, what is it that, what, what would you like this to be? What would be more beneficial? And then to motivate the behavior towards that by using thinking, rational, logical prefrontal cortex kind of processes and also developing you see a lot of what we're doing is we're working with we, yes we're working with subconscious unconscious but we also very much working at the level of thinking at the level of cognitive appraisal and helping so so this is why i'm saying whole brain first of all understanding emotions where they come from what it's all about what are we experiencing and, and normalizing it because no emotion is bad it's just an emotion it's an experience and then you're helping a person develop that cognitive capacity, neuroplasticity within the prefrontal cortex, particularly, um, for example, the, the um, ventrolateral prefrontal cortex, which is the self-control and self-discipline part of the brain, giving helping them be motivated to practice those um, self-control behaviors in order to moderate the instinctive reactive behavior and constantly showing them what the reward is that comes from that. So we get, we raise the serotonin, we raise the dopamine levels through cognitive processes, as opposed to just instinctive reactive addiction.
0: Right, so if I'm hearing this. Tony, if I may just step in here. I think we have probably about seven minutes left trying to get some kind of a closure to this with some of the questions that have been asked um uh, i think um, colleen when we discussed about we discussed a little bit about judith glazer and the work that she had done on oxytocin for example and we know now that uh, the so-called whatever it is called cuddly chemical or happiness chemical the oxytocin um that sort of counteracts the effects of the cortisol and the adrenaline in terms of stresses and it works on the parasympathetic mm-hmm. part of the uh, mm-hmm. autonomous nervous system as opposed to the sympathetic nervous system One of the ways that I see things happening, somebody asked about, are there any seminal articles? The surprising part of it is just like in quantum science, probably every day there is a seminal article that is being written or a book that is being published on neurosciences and quantum sciences. Everything is very, very new. But if you go back, uh, Bruce Lipton, who is a molecular biologist, uh, Candice Spurt, who wrote about emotions and molecules, these sort of set the foundation for some of the stuff today. Uh, that is being expanded about in neurosciences. One of the things I learned recently, and I was approached by a couple of people who are researching on neurosciences, was to, um, and, and I, I truly believe that coaching is going to go that way. Um, it, it, there, you, you just put a sensor on your head which measures uh, neural activity. Uh, it could measure the, new, uh, the, the waves as well and it's able to identify spots in which uh, these kind of things happen, like for example, which kind of uh, behavior is being stimulated by which kind of emotion, for example, aggression or compassion or helplessness or whatever it may be. And then through a feedback mechanism, uh, it is possible to excite or decrease in whichever way that you wish to. It's up to the choice of the individual what they wish to do, to be able to change the way they might want to behave. Uh, it, it's It's actually not fiction, it's happening today. Um, I've seen one of those experiments which are uh, happening today. And over a period of time, all that you probably need to do is, if somebody asks about how long does it take to change? So if you wear a headband, which is constantly, I mean, many of us are familiar with Uh, biofeedback mechanism. Earlier days, you Mm -hmm. used to wear something on your thumb, measure the electrical resistance and conductivity, and it set off a beep. If you go down into alpha and so on and so forth, you can calm yourself down. Something similar, but very, very different can happen on the neural space uh, by measuring the neural networks. and, And not somebody else, not the big brother is going to change you, but it's up to you. If you wish to change, how do you wish to change?
1: The, the, my, only, my reservation about that is, is the same as my reservation about using pharmacological intervention to shift behavior, and, which is not to say that I'm against pharmacological intervention or creating biofeedback mechanisms or whatever. However, remember, again, we're talking about whole brain functioning. And if we change one part of the brain, it affects another part. The brain is designed to go back to homeostasis. Mm. So, for example if we're shifting through pharmacological action which is very important and necessary in people that have neurochemical imbalances but say in a normal human brain we're changing that neurochemistry what is going to happen is that you're going to affect other um, parts of the brain for example when when you when you create an addiction like an addiction to cocaine what happens is the nucleus accumbens stops producing dopamine naturally and we become dependent on that external substance so I'm much more in favor. That's why I'm, I'm so passionate about coaching. I'm much more in favor in, of helping people use their thinking and use their own inner wisdom, their spiritual and their whole body thinking as well. I mean, um, you know, we like you're saying, there's memory in our cells. There's memory in our, um, we've got muscle memory. We have every part of us is my, that mind-body connection. And as coaches, rather helping us to do it ourselves in a holistic way, in a balanced way, so that we create Powerful neuroplasticity instead of imbalance.
0: I, mean, yeah. I, I completely share your passion about you know, the ethical aspect of it, but it's something like cloning, for example. It's something like yeah. many other things that are happening. There is no way that you're going to stop it because these no, are being no, done. No, no. It. It's like artificial intelligence. Okay, yeah. so you, we can scream and write and rant and shout and whatever reason. Uh, that's not going to stop the way things are going to go. Ultimately. People have choices. If they wish to use it, they are going to use it. So if we were to be better coaches, then we have to demonstrate rather than saying, in coach area, we have a saying that nobody is uncoachable. They are only unclient, coaches are unclientable. (laughs) So, I, I mean, I genuinely believe it is true because too many people are taking the easy path and saying, hey, okay, this person is not willing. And like you said, very often people are not willing because they are scared because they are helpless. And we know today, positive psychology, how you can work with people who are helpless. Mm. So there oh. are ways and means of how to approach people who are seemingly uncoachable and they will find a coach ultimately. They will find somebody. If nothing else, life will coach them. Okay, they, it'll happen through a trauma maybe. Uh, but but I, I do take the point that many of them are saying, uh, we, are, we are almost on the hour, we'll close today, but yes, Uh, If you both are willing, um, uh, I'll try and get someone who's actually uh, uh, experienced neuroscientist. If you know somebody, we can bring that person as well in to explore more. Because I I would like to really explore that aspect of it. Um, If someone says that, look, I can put a skull camp on you. And then you can change your behavior the way that you want. Okay, then probably we need to be grounded more on our morals and ethics in terms of not turning into animals. That is true. Maybe society will teach us or whatever it may be. But the fact is, there are many people who are going to opt for it. I don't know if you know about this. There is, I forget the name of the stuff, Muse, I think. There's a headband that is available for about a couple of hundred dollars in the United States today. You can wear it on your head, and actually it provides a limited neural feedback. But I know I have worked with full skull caps with multiple sensors, which today can totally map your entire brain and they are developing feedback mechanism. So I'll stop here because this is an amazingly powerful field. How much of it is really uh, going to be implementable to coaches? We will see how it is. But I do believe that at least we as coaches should be aware of what is happening out there. And we would like to explore this more in the next two sessions. Uh, I'll get back to both of you. and we'll also try and get somebody. Uh, okay, so Manka, would you like to come in and close the session? Thank you very, very much, Colleen. Thank you very much, Tony, for being there and My pleasure. Uh, steering this session uh, to this unbelievably exciting new frontiers of science.
3: Um, thank you very, very much. Sorry, I was distracted. I just put the CCEU information in the chat. And for those of you listening on YouTube, As usual, you go to learn.cocharia.com and you click on the get your CCEU section. And that's where you will find all the courses, I think. Give me like two minutes after this webinar to check. But um, there will be a course called neuroscience and the password slash the answer is sunshine. And the answer is sunshine because there is always light at the end of the tunnel. And today, literally in Chicago, there is sunshine which means the world will not end, which means that everything will be okay again, right?
2: And there is no right. one who is uncoachable.
3: <laughs> there is no one, even I, I mean, no. Ram, come on. <clears throat> Look how much you've helped me.
2: <laughs> if, we, if we come if we come back for round two on this one, I'll tell you exactly what I do with the uncoachables that fixes it. We gonna have some we more shall. So that's a
0: date. So we are going to meet the next Wednesday at the same time, 9 p.m., uh, not next Wednesday
3: of, next month when next, sorry, next yeah, month time next second yeah, yeah, Wednesday yeah.
0: I'm sorry next second Wednesday yes. thanks for pointing
3: no no that's okay we, we are here every Wednesday as a reminder yes. so for anyone who is listening to this for the first time or watching the first time uh just go to coacharia.com forward slash events coacharia.com forward slash events we have a ton of webinars at least one every single week we actually launched a few others the women's one that I mentioned earlier uh we're launching another one Ram doesn't even know (laughs) in two weeks we're starting a series on parenting and coaching because a lot of parents right now are are struggling a little bit with their kids being in lockdown so what can we do we can help with coaching skills not necessarily parenting skills but coaching skills on how to help with you know with with kids with lockdown with stress so Our local expert on young people, Leah Black, is going to be leading a panel of really amazing women so far, uh, coaches and non-coaches, parents, non-parents, educators for some webinars on parenting. So look out for that on our events page and on our YouTube channel and on email. I'll definitely be emailing you. But for now, thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Please share our channel, please share our videos because without you, do they really matter? Of course they do, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but thanks everyone, stay safe. Thanks and stay everyone, inside.
0: thanks Magda, thanks Pauline. thanks Thank Julie, you. thanks bye. everybody. Thanks welcome.
2: everyone, good to bye. see you. Take care, bye. see you bye.